I'm your host, Stephen Wolf. I'm here today to kind of go over a few things a little bit different in the podcast than we've been doing. I'd like to talk about a couple bulls today, um, mainly because the Akushi Association is doing a their annual convention i'd like to dig into kind of what started me into wagyu you know i i came into the wagyu world a little bit different than most i came into the wagyu world by buying red cattle first and then kind of acquiring black wagyu when the person who kind of helped me get going in this whole game passed away and and i had the opportunity to pick up some very very nice cows and at that point i jumped feet first right into the black wagyu game you know so i started the world with red wagyu and right or wrong i, I don't know I, I i like the fact that where i started there wasn't a lot of options and it and allowed me to become a better breeder well think about this there's only 14 sires and dams that were ever brought to the country in the reds so you're dealing with a limited gene pool and for years I was told anybody can breed good reds. You just have to be able to collect good data, know what you know, kind of keep your eye on the things that you know are good and stay away from the guys that are going to get you in a little in trouble by by talking you into breeding differently than what works for you. And once I gathered how to breed wagyu, then I had to learn how to feed them. And after feeding them and learning how to do that, we were up and going. Like, like it wasn't that difficult to be able to provide a great quality carcass once you got the basis down of not only, you know, we need to breed good cattle, but we also need to feed good cattle. So, you know, the Akushi world's getting bigger and bigger. You know, a lot more people are getting involved now, and, and that's a good thing. I think that the growth of any industry is huge. The downside to that growth is, is that people decide, um, instead of breeding good cattle, that they're going to breed whatever they want, even if it's going to be detriment to the next person who owns the cattle, and, and then they're going to propagate these cattle. One of the biggest issues I see in the industry today is no one's culling animals. You know, I spent a lot of time early on in this game cooling animals. I would get something, I'd buy something, I, you know, we would breed it, we would see what it would do in the feedlot, and then we would move on. And the problem is, is that's not happening anymore. People are going about it the wrong way. They, they go, oh, I, I spent a bunch of money on this animal, and now I'm going to propagate it and sell it to the next person. Well, here's the problem. You're propagating a problem. Not all Wagyu are created equal. Not all Akushi are created equal. And that's the problem that no one is really keeping their eye on right now is, is how do we produce the best quality product um, available? And, and the problem also lies in a little problem that, that's being propagated by the big names in the industry right now is let's try to breed good cattle that are functional and marble. Right now, it's either you have to breed marbling cattle or you have to breed functioning cattle, and they're unwilling to do the work to get to both. And to me, that's really sad. You know, cattle both need to be functional and they need to be able to marble. That, that's what this breed's about. But then I see things that are misleading and not truthful in a lot of advertisements lately, and it, and it really bothers me. You know, we were reading an advertisement the other day, and it said that Akushi cattle have great maternal strengths, which is true. But it also said that they have great milking ability. I'm sorry. That is the biggest lie that anybody could be telling you. Wagyu cattle, 
red or black, do not milk well. They milk well for their breed, right? Like within the breed, there are decent animals that milk better than others, but they're not going to milk better than a commercial Angus Hereford Cross. They're not going to milk better than somebody Semmental. They're definitely not going to milk better than any of the Shorthorns. So I find that these claims are getting really out of hand, and and I feel I feel that there's some misleadings going on that that I don't know if they're doing it intentionally or not, but, but I can definitely tell you that it's not a good thing. So today let's talk about, you know, the red genetics. Red genetics are very, very interesting because there's just not a lot of them. And the problem with this is, is because there's not a lot of them, you can easily breed good animals. Or you could easily screw everything up and have a mess. So let's go back to the good old days of, of early Wagyu. And we, and we have to remember that in 1976, there were two bulls brought to this country. Rusha was a national standing champion at the time, and Judo. They were picked because they were some of the best cattle available at that time in Japan. And they were brought over here to be mixed with dairy animals so that the Japanese could figure out if it was going to make a possible combination mix so that they could have these animals back in their own prefectures to allow for a little more beef population in the new Holstein breeds that were coming in. You know, Holsteins at that time hadn't been in Japan and now they were coming in and they, they wanted to know what the value of their animals were going to be on a large function. So these animals were brought in. There are four bulls, two reds, two blacks, Mazda, Mount Fuji, Rusha, Judo. Today we're going to focus on the on the red bulls. And, and here's the problem. These bulls were sent here to be used on mixed animals. They were sent here because they wanted to know if the animals that they currently had in Japan, the red, wagyu, akaushi, Japanese brown, whatever you want to call them, they wanted to know if these animals were going to be worth having and mixing with the Holsteins and what options they were going to get out of it or which animals were going to give them the best option to, to produce a little more beef in country. Everybody has to remember not everybody in Japan wants A5 Wagyu. Not everybody in Japan can afford A5 Wagyu, but they do want a highly marbled product. They want a product that's going to be very good and nutritious and useful to them. And they want a product that they'll enjoy eating. And, and that was why these bulls were sent here initially. They weren't sent here because we wanted to have herds. They were sent here because they wanted to know, hey, we've got these options. How are they going to work on the other most prevalent cattle breed we have in Japan, and which was that time, now the Holstein? So, you know, if you look at some early research that was done from the four original bulls, uh, Judo by far was the best marbling bull. He beat Rusha hands down when you look at the early research. You know, there's research on Wagyu International. There's research down at uh, Twinwoods have. Go in and read the real research, guys. You know, the research goes on and on about how good these animals were, and they were great. But here's the other problem. People aren't willing to go out and, and dig this research up. When I started Wagyu, the guy who taught me almost everything I know wouldn't even wouldn't even help me until I sat down and read research. I had to prove to him that I was going to, to not just sit back on my laurels and do something. I had to read research. You know, and the funny part is, is when you start looking at these old, these older, 
numbers they put they put judo and mazda and rusha and and haruki too and michifuku all into one giant sire trait and it says you know the squares the squares mean standards and errors for average daily gain carcass weight yield grade for eight wagyu sires and of the eight wagyu sires judo scored a marbling score of 903 with a plus or minus deviation of about 40 Mazda, 807, with a plus or minus deviation of 26. Rusha, 827, with a plus or minus deviation of 37. So of the two bulls, 903 with a 48 and 827 with a 37, let's just say that that Judo had a negative 40 and Rusha had a positive 30. He still will beat Rusha, hands down, in the marbling score. And the thing that people don't gather is, is this research was done in the 90s, guys. This research was done when these bulls finally got here in the late 90s. And, and, it's, and it's good, solid research. It's been proven time and time again. And then you get people out there saying, oh, you know, Rusha's the best, the best of the original bulls. Well, there's not an ounce of research out there that's been published and, and, and verified that, that says this. Is Rusha a good sire? Yes, he's a good sire. Is Judo a good sire? Yes, he's a good sire. They both are great sires, but they are both from the 1970s, guys. And the hard thing for me is, is the Japanese are the most progressive breeders in the world when they come to their cattle. And we're stepping back and going, you know, right now you see this huge push for Rusha. We use Rusha. We use Judo. We use them to bring inbreeding coefficients down. We use them to make it so that our breedings have lower inbreeding coefficients so that we can breed more efficiently to the animals in which we have. I am not going to Rusha and going, I'm going to breed to Rusha to boost my marbling. That is the last thing I'm going to do. I'm going to Rusha because he gives me good clean feet. He gives me a nice straight back. He gives me a nice lower inbreeding coefficient. But the biggest thing Rusha brings to me and this is the most important thing for me, is that he's a great maternal sire. He does well on heifers. He does well on making pretty cows. But right now, you know, I see people right now selling Rusha semen for $9,000 a straw, and I step back and I go, why? When I was in this game early on, we were picking Rusha, you know, semen up back then. It was under 100 bucks. And that wasn't that long ago, guys. I bought some Rusha semen G's before COVID, and it wasn't even it wasn't it, it was about a, it was about two grand. And I felt at that time that was pretty fair. Yes, there's getting less of it, but come on, guys, we need to move forward and start breeding better animals. And there's a big portion of people that step back and they sit there and they breed to these old genetics, and and people are now coveting them, and I'm not sure why. The best cattle in our program are third or fourth generation sires. And they rally around certain animals that came here during the 90s. And, and the reason we've done that is, is because we, need, we know that they are great marbling animals that have produced high quality sons. And that those sons have also produced high quality sons. This is a game of breeding. This is not a game of I'm going to go back and breed to the original animals and breed to the original animals and and hopefully I'm going to get something good. So out of the two bulls in 1976, there's numerous, four or five, just jump online and start looking at real research, guys. Go to TwinWiz. They have a great article you know, category and, and they've put this together for the use of, of many people and the 
biggest thing I can tell you right now that that I like oh, Judah over Rushan. Well, yeah, yes, his marbling was nine nine oh three versus eight oh seven, and, and these people were you've got to remember put together these marbling charts because they wanted to know. Very very few people, if any, do much data with full blood reds. You know, you listen to Heartbrand and you listen to Legendary, or you see them online on their on their online. Um, forums on the Akushi Breeders site and they talk about oh we have all this research well that research is done on F1 cattle I am sorry F1 cattle do not do the same things as full blood cattle and most people are have it that that are in full blood operations are now using F1 data as truth and that's not that, that's apples to oranges guys I do not take F1 data and and put it forward on my my full blood cattle I just don't do it I like to deal with like things. If I have research on full bloods, I use that research towards full bloods. If I if I need to sell bulls to a guy because he has an F1 operation, I sure as heck am going to use some F1 research data to help him be more successful. But you cannot use this data as gospel. And that's what's happening. And it really, really bothers me that this is going on. One of the biggest things that I that I also you know when you start looking into some of these these uh, high quality you know charts from the from the late '90s early 2000s researches is that they weren't afraid to mix the old and the new stuff just to see kind of what was going on and, and I think that's a great thing and they've gone, done some composables in there that that I think have have really revolutionized some of the stuff going on and what I'll do guys is I'll put this in on our Facebook page for you to look at. I will add it to the photos so that you can see the table that I'm talking about right now. And and I do this because I think it's important. I think it's very, very important that we look at data and we evaluate it efficiently. And the problem is, is there's no one out there collecting good data. I look at a, the Akaushi Association's website. I think their data is poor. You know, you look at the American Wagyu Association. They don't have data. You go to the Australians. I think that they have a good start and a good basis, but their stuff changes quite a bit. But I think that it's better than some of the others. We have started collecting in-house data, and we collect data on, on major points. One of the biggest ones is, is we do carcass weights. We do age. We do, you know, we try to extrapolate average daily gain based on the life of the animal. We know what it weighed when it was born, and we know what it weighed when we killed it. So those two numbers are great because we can go by the amount of days in between and know our average daily gain. Here's another big one, guys. I take a lot of pictures of all of our carcasses. We take multiple pictures. We use every form of picture quality available that we can use. I use a Canon camera. I use an iPhone. I use, you know, a Pixel. I, I take numerous pictures unedited. That's the big one. Unedited. And we then verify them through the Japanese picture program. Picture, sorry, the Japanese carcass camera program. And it gives us an, an estimated, you know, an estimated grade we don't put that on our stuff there's no reason to in the u.s we can't even you know it, it makes no sense I, I see people oh i have a5 wagyu unless you bought it from japan you do not have a5 wagyu there is no way that you can get that certified here in the united states and those are the things that really really bother me because people are are misleading others into buying semen or animals that aren't going to fit their needs and i feel, find it really sad so the two bulls, Rusha and Judo, came in in, in in 1976. 
Then in 1994, we're going to start off with bulls. Imported bulls. Hakari, Shugmaru, Tamaru. So I want you to think about this for a minute. So between 1976 and 1994, you're going to tell me that the most progressive people in the world, the most progressive breeders of, the Wag of Wagyu that have ever been around, didn't improve the cattle. They didn't improve the cattle at all. And, and Rusha and Judo are the best of the, of the Akaushi we have available. I'm sorry I don't buy it. The main reason I don't buy it is I've killed enough of these cattle to know better. And that's the problem with most people. You people aren't out there killing things. You're out there trying to make a breeding stock with no evaluation and no ability to say, yes, we know these animals are going to produce these things. So of the three bulls that were imported in 1994, Hakari has been, hands down, the best producer of sons out there. You can argue all you want. It's the truth. He has produced bulls like Kajikari, Katsakari, WSI Yumanyaru. Those three bulls right there have brought more marbling and density weight into this breed than any other bulls that have been bred to this date. Kajikari is, is probably the best of his sons, followed up you know, right by, by Katsakari and then WSI Yumanyaru. And a lot of you will never get the opportunity to breed to those bulls because not a lot of semen was ever imported back to the United States. And with Kajikari, almost none was imported into the United States. So a lot of people get their Kajikari from a bull called the Right Wagyu Master Chef. That bull has proven himself in Australia, competing against Black Wagyu for his whole life until he's passing, and he produced quality carcasses that rivaled a lot of the carcasses that were being produced by the Black Wagyu folks in Australia. You know, Barbara had him for so long, and she made so many good improvements with him and improved her herd so much that, that it changed the way that Red Wagyu were handled in Australia. I breed to, to MasterChef. I think he's a phenomenal bull. There were a couple other bulls that were brought over at the same time. Ashwood Park. That was Ashwood Park Verile. Great bull. Limited amounts of semen again. That's the downside to it is we have a limited amount of semen and it's kind of one of those things that it's hard because not everybody's going to get the opportunity to breed to it. Another of the great sons that came out of the, these breedings out of Australia is Ashwood Park uh, 014. He is probably the best of all of the Red Wagyu that have come out of Australia at this point. His breed plan, you know, was top 1%. And the cool part is, is he's, he's top 35% for all marbling, period. Black, red, up against like things like Ito Shogunami Jr., Master Chef's in the same boat, top 35%. So... You're putting these red bulls up against black bulls, and that is a very hard thing to do. And when you start doing hard things, people start getting weird and, and trying to take advantage of, of people who don't know. You know, when you look at bulls, you know, one of the big things that I can tell you right now for a fact is when you look at good bulls, they're good bulls. You know, Shugmaru, he's a good bull, but he's not a great meat bull. He's going to bring you some okay growth. He's going to be 
okay on a, on on maternal side, he's going to give you beautiful daughters. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want beautiful daughters, you breed to Shugmaru. But his meat quality scores are not the greatest. Tamaru, same way. He's a big bull. He's going to give you a lot of growth. He's going to give you a little milk. But his, his marbling score is not going to be amazing. And for me, I want to be able to sell high quality meat whenever I can. I make as much money selling meat as I do selling breed stock. And, and a lot of people ask us why we don't have more breed stock. Well, because we're killing animals and making meat out of them. And that's important to us because I want to be known as a breeder that produces high-quality Wagyu. I want to be known as a breeder that, that you come and buy a bull or a cow or a heifer from, and that you have that bull, cow, and heifer for her for most of her usable life. And at the end of that usable life, she's giving you more, far more than you ever spent on her, and you're able to resell her at the end. So in 1994, again, we'll start talking about the females, 27 Hamare and Kunisaki. These two animals are very, very sparse throughout a lot of people's stuff. Um, very few genetic bases come from this. You do see it in JC Rusha 75, 92, 74, Rusha 2. You know, you see Kunaseki there. Their mother, WSI, you know, uh, JC, JC Yuminyaru, she has a full brother. Uh, he, he was bred by, by, a, by a company called... Uh, King High Ranch, and and not a lot of people have ever used him. Not a lot of people know he's even out there. And those are the bulls that change the way this market's done. I'm sorry, I see some of these people advertising these bulls, and they have zero data. And they go, oh, well, we're going to gather some data at some point, and then they never release it. They never, they never have any proof or verification of that data. For years, Garth Monroe has told me, you know, and Eldon Clausen, they both told me. Do not buy stuff unless they have actual carcass data. If they can't send you a picture of what ribeye should look like from a full blood that's finished out, you probably shouldn't be buying that bull. So, when I went out and bought my first herd bull, I mixed some important bloodlines together to get what I wanted. I knew that I needed to go out and I needed to find a couple animals that were going to really benefit me and make my you know make things work better for my from my breeding standpoint and the big reason is is there's two bulls that fathered animals that never came to this country Mitsumara 10 and Naminaru those two bulls never came to this country but their genetics did Mitsumaru Mitsumaru 10 is is probably the reason that Hakari and Big Al do as well as they do in the marbling categories so what i did is I went and found out that 27 Hamare also falls in the same line as Dai 10. And what I did with that is, is I went over and I decided that that, that was going to be the route that I, that I was going to take. So I found a bull that was Big Al by 27 Hamare. Done. Game over. You know, another night, you know, another really good bull that you can, you can gain a lot of depth from a lot of size and and power is is a bull called red emperor red emperor came out of australia again but the reason he's so good is his mom is diate diate is the mother of tamaru it's the mother you know of of 
you know, Red Emperor of Alamo. Like, like she brings so much depth to Marveling, and, and it's hard to not have her in your system. And, and a lot of people don't understand that. So, I'm getting a little sidetracked, so I'll get back on. Back on. So, in 1994, we have the three bulls. Hikari, Shugmaru, Tamaru. There's two bulls that have already been here. They're dead by this time, and there's semen's available. That's Judo and Rusha. So in 94, we started seeing cows. This was the first time anyone was going to breed full-blood animals here in the United States. You had JVP, JVP importing two, 27 Hamare and Kuniseki. And then, you know, Alan Marie Wood, which, which they owned Inglewood Farms, which later became Heartbrand. They brought in nine animals. Akiko, Dai 3, Dai 8, Dai 9, Cobia 73, who is the mother of Phoenix. You know, Fukio, Haruko, Nomiko, Naomi, Yume. And, and that's where those came from. And when they got here, those animals, were five of them were pregnant. Big Al coming from Akiko. Katamaru coming from Dai 3. Fukio had a daughter. That, or, yeah, Fukio had a son, 505. And then there, then Naomi had uh, Mama Mamagaru, and Yume had five hundred four. So, so right there, total animals coming to this country. There were twenty animals total. That included the offspring that were born here, the eleven females, and the five sires. So when we start going down and looking at these sire groups, there are sire groups that are missing, and and. I wonder sometimes if they weren't going, they should, they disappeared for a reason. When you start listening to stories like Bill Fisher the other day put out something that said that him and Jordan Beeman, the owner of Heartbrand, sat down at one point in time and found out that they had Die 9 Cobia 73, uh, that was a mistake in bookkeeping, and that's how they found out that she was still available to us here in the United States or, in, or ever. They put the embryos in. They got two females and a male. I think that one of two things happened. Alan Marie Wood were very, very good at breeding. They were very, very smart. They took numbers. They took data. They did things that were important and meaningful all the time when, when it came to caring for these animals. They went to Japan and imported them and wanted them to be the best animals available. Right? Some of these animals went to Canada. And, and that's where they lived. And that's okay. You know, you know, Wegu Sakai housed the original red cows up in Canada. And, and they have a, a, a breadth of knowledge. And, and Katamaru came down from Canada to Bill Fisher through, through the hands of, of Ken at Wegu Sakai. And that's an important thing to know. Because that's another group of people that bred well. Ken bred well. Ken did what he needed to do to produce animals. To this day, he's probably one of the best black Wagyu breeders on this side of the pond. And it's all due to knowledge and information and willing to gather information and learn. So, Alan Marie Wood were very, very studious and very, very good. He was a veterinarian that studied a lot of genetics. I often wonder sometimes if that's not why Die 3 Cobia didn't pan out. I wonder if she wasn't producing animals that he thought were important. I got some Phoenix semen early on. I've I've bred it to one cow. 
I haven't seen the progeny yet, and, and I'm going to see some in the next little bit, and we'll see if it's any good. Remember, stuff that works with me doesn't always work down south with you guys. We have different feed values. You know, everybody goes, oh, get on Jimmy, Jimmy Horner's product. It's the best product out there. It's not designed for me. You know, I've talked to him multiple times and they're like, oh, you know, we can supplement this, this, and this. Well, I found a guy who feeds thousands of Wagyu a year F1s and and had him come and help and design our feed program to be very, very beneficial to the full-blood Wagyu that we feed. We feed so little F1s. I bet you we feed less than 25 F1s a year. And it's because that's not our game. Our game is to sell, produce, and breed the best red and black Wagyu in the country. And I can only prove that by carcass data and keeping points all the way along. So when we start talking about the early animals, I want everybody to jump on. If you guys jump on to Wagyu International and start looking at the early animals that brought in, they have a chart set up. And it's very interesting to me because the chart shows different things like marbling and how they affect on grass and things like that. And you can see the animals that have done well and done poorly. Judo does well in the meat department, but very poorly in, in a lot of the departments that, that a lot of people want, like 200, 300, 400 day. Again, these are smaller animals coming here. You look at Hikari and he's a home run hitter. Pretty much everything across the way, including his maternal line, is is good to go. But everybody's so scared to use him because of F11. Well, that's why you should have a, a program. That's why you need to have a meat program. Take all the F11 affected animals, put them in the program. Heck, you've got a good start to see if your bulls are any good. Or if your cows are any good. And that's the other thing, guys. Some of these animals are no good. Some of these animals are marginal wagyu. And we keep propagating them because people think that every Wagyu should be propagated. And that is so far from truth. So when we start talking about the females, 27 Hamare, she is not a big growth cow. She never was. She never will be. None of her sons are. But her maternal value and her carcass value is off the charts. You know, and, and then you start talking about Akiko. Akiko's the same way. You know, she's she doesn't have the greatest maternal traits, but her carcass traits are are fair to middling, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that it's just it is what it is. Diate same way. You know, we start getting into a situation where diate she is she's a carcass animal with very poor maternal traits, and and when you have some of her sons, you see that, and and it's not bad, it's not terrible. You just have to know that you're breeding around something that might not have the best of the best. When it comes to maternal traits, my favorite of the cows are Namiko and Yume, both of which are amazing carcass cows, and they also have a very high maternal trait. That's why it's important, guys, that you know these original cow lines and the cow families that you're buying cows from. Don't go out there and just buy it because you saw that it has Rusha in the name or Hikari in the name. Look at the cow families. You guys need to remember we need to match both sides of the house up to get high quality animals. When we start talking about, you know, farther generational down, you look at a bull like Ashwood Park uh, 014. That bull is probably one of the most phenomenal carcass bulls in the breed. Him and Master Chef run neck and neck when it comes to breed efficiency in, in Australia. And when you start looking at these animals, Hakari, Kajikari, those animals are third, fourth, three, four generations back in this pedigree. And that's okay, guys. It's okay to 
bring bulls forward and create new bulls. I've got a female right now that she's a JC Rusha 92 by an Akiko 2, and she is a big, broody, beautiful cow. She weighs almost 2,000 pounds. You know, she gets she gets a little over that when she's pregnant, um, but her calves consistently are long, they're thick, they're big, and they marble. And that's important to me. That is important to me because I sell these animals based on poundage. So I get paid on two merits, two metrics, marbling quality and pounds. So if I can produce an animal that has a 1,500 pound hanging weight at 24 months, I am making more money and able to cover my cost and with wheat above $11 and barley above $20 and corn somewhere between 10 and 15, I have to have that weight to make the things work through the feedlot. Heck, guys, we're at $5 a day, give or take, feeding these animals in the feedlot. We're going to be well over $7 by the time September comes. How do you make that metric work? Well, I can tell you right now it's average daily gain. We have been able to collect the data necessary to know which one of our animals are, are better that way and which ones aren't. And the sad part is, is there are no one else out there collecting this data. And, and the thing that really bothers me is, is that because I collect this data, everybody thinks that we should be the ones sharing the data. I'm sorry. I, I don't mind sharing it when people call and ask questions. I don't mind sharing it through the podcast, but I'm not going to just go give it to an association so that they can just propagate information. It doesn't make any sense. And to me, I feel it's a disadvantage to you guys because you wouldn't understand the data anyway. You wouldn't understand why we're melting internal fat. We do an internal fat melting test on every animal. It has a direct correlation with how tender that animal's going to be. And here's the sad part to me. You guys, a lot of guys out there think, oh, I have to have the best marbling. I've seen some of the best marbled animals of, that I've ever seen be the toughest animals compared to the non-marbled. And I'm not saying no marbled, but a lesser marbled animal. There is a distinct issue when fat melts over 100 degrees or even close to 100 degrees. We try to keep our, through breeding, our genetics, our genetics, we try to have fat melting points somewhere between 90 and 93 degrees. And we hit it pretty regularly. 94 is kind of the average if you take all of our animals and you spectrum them out. Yeah, we have some high 96s and we have some you know, 90s, but on average, we're about 93, 94, and that is what we've found makes the best, most tender animal and the ability for us to propagate an animal consistently that's going to give the end user for meat the best quality product available. That's why I can sell Red Wagyu and Black Wagyu to the same chef and he doesn't care which one he gets. Most of you guys out there, you try to do that, you're going to get a chef that's all upset with you real quick. Guys, it's about collecting data and doing things the right way. If I was going to start a herd today, I wouldn't be going out and spending $9,000 or $5,000 on Rusha semen. It makes no sense. I would be going out and I would be finding good bulls in that $50 to $100 a straw range that have all the genetics that I want in them. And then I would be breeding them to good quality cows that I have picked and, and like. And here's the problem, guys. The best embryos I've seen of late 
they go from for about a grand, a grand to eleven hundred to twelve hundred dollars, and that's okay. Because if say say you say you go out and you buy a ten thousand dollar cow and she's crazy and junk, you're out ten grand. Here's the cool thing about embryos: say you go out and you buy the same ten thousand dollars worth of embryos. That's ten embryos. You are going to get, on average, five calves out of that. And the likelihood of getting a good one out of those five calves are pretty good. If I was going to go out and start a herd today, I'd be buying Red Emperor embryos. I'd be buying embryos from Tambo, Recital. A lot of these, you know, you guys that are in the Akushi Association, you've never even heard of because no one in the associations really had access to them. They were brought over and and nobody really sold anything down to, to, to the people south. Katsukari's been used by both Hartbrand and Bill Fisher. Kajikari's never been used by them. Uh, but, you know, and MasterChef's being used more and more in both associations just because the semen's finally been released a little bit. But heck, there's less than 150 straws. When I was talking to Mr. Mr. Will... Uh, Neil, not too long ago, he told me that he figured there's less than a thousand straws left of Red Emperor in this country. So now's the time to get on these bulls that are good, good high quality bulls. Get your semen, get them used in your cows and move on. I am always looking for the next bull to use. I'm always looking for the, the next good bull to move me to the next level. And, and from time to time, I do go back and breed to Hakari and Big Al or Judo or Rusha. But I bought semen when it was affordable and easy to get a hold of. WSI Yumanyaru is one of my favorite bulls to, to use uh, because I know that I'm going to get a good outcome most times. Master Chef's the same way. If you could get somebody to sell you some MasterChef embryos for $1,000 a piece, I'd be on it all day long. But here's the problem. Please make sure that the cow's worth having them in. And this is the hard part to me. When you start talking about the Australian import, you know, Henson came in. He's a line-bred Kajikari son, or grandson, sorry. And nobody really uses him here in the States. You know, I... Red, you know, Red Emperor Kalinga Red Star is another great bull. He's a Shugmaru son, but his mom is so heavily stacked that he he brings something that a lot of bulls don't. He brings power and depth, and and he's just a beautiful bull. And if you start matching him up with Master Chef daughters, or you start moving him across some JC Rusha daughters, or even line bred Kalinga Red Star you get a good product and and i know that there's a couple bigger breeders down in texas that'll tell you he's junk well they've never really used him they've never had the opportunity to really use him and and some of their problems the cows they use him on not every bull needs to be matched up with every cow there's a reason they call it selective breeding we selectively breed the best animals available and that's what we do and it's important to do it that way so I, got, I want to leave you with a few, a few just side notes and, and take it for what it's worth. I know I'm a little bit you know keyed up on this topic, but it really, really bothers me sometimes when I see people buying things thinking they're getting this great deal and they're not. And it makes me feel bad because I know that sooner or later they're going to regret the purchase. And it may mean them leaving Wagyu because somebody took advantage of them. I want to leave you with this piece of advice I was given by my mentor early on when I started buying and selling and moving things. 
He said, there's three kinds of people that get you in trouble in this industry. The first don't know any better. They're just like you. They don't have enough information and they think they have something special. And in reality, they have a problem. Then comes the second group of people. And those are the people that think they have a little bit of knowledge, but they really don't understand breeding concepts of cattle. And I think this is where a lot of people sit. I think that those people, there's a lot of people that, that are currently breeding to original stock and saying it's the only way to go that are in this category. Just because they came from Japan doesn't mean that we haven't improved them and made better animals than those that were brought in in the 90s. The final group of people are the crooks, and I run into these more than I'd like to admit. It seems like every time somebody gets you know, in a bad situation, I end up with a phone call and a person that's freaking out and can't get a cow bread or has problems or has been duped for a bunch of money, when in reality, if they had just called me at the beginning, we could have sold them some good embryos and they would have been light years ahead of what they have. It usually takes a person anywhere between three to five years to recover from being swindled like this. And sometimes, I hate to say this, some of the biggest breeders in the industry are doing this to, to our new members. And that's not okay. That's not acceptable. Hell, I think it's probably one of the worst things that's going on right now, but it's been going on like this from the day I started in this industry. I was very fortunate to have, have a great mentor who kind of kept me out of trouble. I currently have a great mentor. She's probably been in this breed you know, as long as most, and, and she's bred both reds and blacks. Heck, she was breeding cattle before the full bloods were available to her. She is she gives me enough information and keeps me keeps me, you know, when I have a question, I call her instantly and she takes care of me every time. And she doesn't ask a thing for it. Have I bought some cows from her? Yeah, because she had some really cool stuff that I wanted. But she has never one time said, "Hey, I need you to buy a cow or I can't help you anymore." She has been probably the best person that I could ask for since Eldon's been gone because she's just truthful and honest and she loves the breed. And that's the problem, guys. Most of these big breeders that I've been running into lately, I've known for quite a long time and I know that they don't really love the breed, they're just trying to make money. And that's how you get in trouble. That's how you do not become progressive, that's how you become the person that people start talking about that's a terrible person. Breed cattle because you love it. Don't try to get rich quick. Do the things that are necessary to build your herd and make it better. Next week, I'm going to dive into quite a bit of the females and why I like each of them. And I think it's important that we do these things. And I think it's important that we talk about these great females in the breed. If I was going to start today, I'd be looking at bulls that are sons of Big Al, the good ones. Sons of Hakari, the good ones. There are, they're out there, guys. You just have to dig a little bit and find them. And don't get caught up in the in the fanfare of Rusha right now, guys. We're going to sell some Rusha sons later on this year. We're going to sell them for the same price we sell everything else. We have a set price and we sell all of our breeding stock for that price. Each year it changes a little bit because our inputs change. But it's relatively within $1,000 to $1,500 of the same price no matter what we do. So... We do have those that are, you know, we have a couple animals every year that we have that are sold for a lot of money, 
but it's because we really didn't want to sell them and somebody kept asking what it would cost to get them so we finally throw a number out and the guy takes him that is the reason you see these big numbers you're starting to see some things go on in the industry right now that discourages me more than it ever has I have never been at a point in this industry where I just look up and I'm like, wow, what, what have we become? And I'm starting to see that right now, especially with the red cattle. The black cattle go in ebb and flow, and right now I think they're in a fairly good spot. I think that the Australian immigration that they're dealing with right now isn't the greatest thing in the world. But I think for by and large, there's a lot of good cattle available. Right now, there's a lot of push for pulled animals in the reds, and that scares me because there's so few reds to start with. I want you to think about it like this. Say you have full-blood red cattle. You go buy this pulled bull and run him across your herd. You have lost a year of adding another animal to the full-blood red registry. And if enough people do this over time, you will actually decrease the number of full-blood animals in the United States rather than increasing them, which is what is needed. I'm going to leave you with the final tip of the day. The tip this week for, for all you guys out there in the red wagyu industry, I want you to take a step back. I want you to take a step back and I want you to think about where you want to be and who you want to be. The one question I ask every breeder that calls me and I always ask it, are you trying to sell breed stock or are you trying to sell meat? And they always say, oh, I want to do both. Which is a great answer, right? But not everybody can do both. Some people have to be breed stock people because that's the way their system's set up or the availability to be. I want you to think about it like this. I want you to say, I want to breed the best cattle I can. I want to breed I want to breed the best cattle that I can get my hands on or afford to the best cattle that I have. I don't want to get caught up in the hype. You could get it, you could go and buy Rushad a day, you could make embryos, you can make some money doing it. But are you making the animals better? And why are we still breeding bulls consistently in an industry from 1976? It happens in no other industry in the world. And it's not effective, it's not progressive, and it's going to hurt the industry. Especially when that bull isn't the best bull of the two original bulls. I'm going to leave you with that, and I, and I hope that that's something that you guys can, can digest, and, and it doesn't make very many people super mad and they stop listening, and if it does, I'm sorry, but it's the truth of the matter. I'm into breeding good cattle. I'm into being honest about the good cattle we breed. I'm into keeping data and collecting records so that I can prove to everyone that we are breeding the best cattle in the country. I hope that my passion for this kind of leaks out and helps you guys become better breeders. And I'm going to leave you with that as the tip of the day. I want you to take a step back and look at what you want to do and where you want to be and how you're going to get there and how you're going to get there in the most progressive way possible. So next week on What's New with Wagyu, I'm going to sit down and we're going to talk about females, which is my true passion in the breed. And I hope that you guys can really have a sense of why I like these females. I want you to remember the original females that were brought to this country. 27 Hamare, Kunaseki, Akiko, Dai 3, Dai 8, Dai 9, Cobia 73, Fukio, Haruki, Namiko, Naomi, and Yume. And we're going to talk about those next week. 
and it's going to be in depth because I believe without a good foundation of females, you'll never have a good foundation in your breeding program. I'll see you next week at What's New in Wagyu. My buddy Jake said, hey, it's spring break. So I picked him up in my truck. We rolled into town and there we found a cantina and sorority bus. I started trading my lines with a tall, blonde-haired Kappa Delta. She said, boy, what school are you from? Said, I'd be happy to tell you. Sleep at night.